0: Hey, that was a good response. That was much better than the first service, I'll have you know. Um, You all are much more awake now. Uh, Well, My name is Paul Wingfield. Uh, I'm the student pastor here. Uh, There's my name, if you need to know how to spell it for anything. Um, Yeah, I have the privilege and the pleasure to teach you guys today and to speak with you um, from the text that we're going to study. Joel is conveniently on vacation at the beach. So all of your emails in regards to my sermon are not going to be answered until next week, and therefore my job is safe for another week. <laughs> um, no, but really, I, I'm super excited um, to be able to be, be here today and to be able to share a little bit of my, about my story uh, with you guys uh, and to, to share this scripture that we're going to be in today and just how it relates um, to who we are in, in Christ. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 1. Yeah, I love that we do that. For those of you that might be new, you're like, what are we doing? What is going on? So, we celebrate God God's word here. So, we think it's clappable and wooable. And so, we do that anytime we open the word, okay? Because it is clappable and wooable. Um, we're going to be in Ephesians 1. Uh, we're going to look specifically at verses 1 through 10. Uh, so, if you have a Bible, you can open it up, or you can look on the screen here, or open it up in your phone, whatever way that you get the word. Just so. Starting out verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And before we, before we dive into to that text and, uh, and, and start looking into it a little bit deeper, um, I just want to share my story with you guys to let you know a little bit, a little bit about me and uh, who I am and how I've even managed to, to be standing here before you today. Um, so I'm from Kingsport, uh, originally. Not originally, originally. Um, my parents got divorced when I was young, so I don't really ever remember them together. Um, but I lived with my mom until um, I was probably 10 or so in Knoxville. Um, and church wasn't really something that we we just didn't do down there. Um, not that we were against it or anything. We just didn't, just didn't do it. Um, and so like a lot of young people whose parents are separated, uh, I would come and I would visit my family up here on the weekends, every other weekend. And in the summer, I would come up here and stay for prolonged periods of time. And so I remember when I would come up here, my my grandparents and my dad, you know, they were really good about just taking me to church and getting me in vacation Bible school and Sunday school and all the programs and all the activities. And um, and I remember it was probably eight or nine. I I don't recall if it was like a VBS or It was at a camp, but I I remember sitting uh, in our sanctuary and I was sitting behind the pews. For those of you that know what pews are, some of you just know what chairs are, but there was pews in this church. And um, I was sitting behind the pew and it was dark and we just got through um, singing and and worshiping. And I just remember just this this feeling uh, in in my heart that, man, God was just like drawing me to himself. And just I realized the separation that I had from God and the weight of my sin. And I knew that I desperately needed a savior, uh, and so I went forward. I, I stepped out, and I was super uncomfortable because I thought people were going to like look at me. But like, I literally just couldn't help but to go forward. Uh, so I went up there, said the prayer, you know, uh, said every word of it, and thought that that was it. Thought that it was my one-time transaction. Got my salvation card, put it in my pocket, you know. Um, I thought that's all I had to do, right, to be a Christian was say the prayer, and I'm good. What I didn't realize is that I had to spend the rest of my life pursuing a relationship with Jesus. That was not something that somebody stepped into my life and said, hey, I'm going to walk with you through this process. Uh, I just, one time and done deal. And so with that, um, I did what a lot of kids do, man. I just looked to, to my peers for approval around me. I looked to the things that I can see, that I can touch, that I can feel to uh, bring me some kind of fulfillment, some kind of joy, um, I moved up here from Knoxville. When I was ten. I was about halfway through my fifth grade year when I moved up here, and I remember coming up here and like I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any friends here. I didn't. I just. I didn't know anybody, and so I had this just like this desire uh, in my heart to be to seek approval from those around me and to to try to be cared for by those people that were around me, even if it meant doing you know, whatever they were doing to to get that approval. Um, So I was kind of a rebellious kid. Um, I remember getting into middle school and just not listening to authority, not doing my homework, not listening to my teachers. Uh, And unfortunately for me, my dad's high school baseball coach was the principal at Colonial Heights Middle School at that time. And he also happened to be a former semi-pro baseball player with arms, forearms the size of my thighs, and dad uh, gave him full rights to punish me as he saw fit, uh, which meant paddling. Um, he had this paddle and he had this, I'll never forget it. He had this brown leather chair in his office and it had gold buttons that went all, I can see it to this day. Um, I, I, visited, I visited it frequently. Um, and I remember the reaction that I would get when I came back into class you know, all my friends would be like, oh, did you get paddled? And I'd be like, yeah, I got paddled. They didn't know I'd been crying 10 minutes before, you know. Um, and, but I, I would go in, and, like, I, they got, I had this attention, because I would get in trouble, and then I would come back, and I would get this attention from my peers, right? And that felt good. I was like, man, I feel noticed. I feel like I'm, I'm this cool kid, like a troublemaker or whatever. And um, so that continued on. That continued on through middle school. And I, I got into sports and played baseball, which I was terrible at baseball um, and played football as well i wasn 't so terrible at football, I was actually kind of good at it, um, kind of good, not very good, kind of good um, and I remember through that the the friends, my teammates that I got to know some of them had older siblings, and so when we go hang out at their house, like I really just long for that approval again. It comes back to just like wanting these friends around me and their brothers or whoever to just like approve of me and to accept me and to include me. Because um, I, didn't, I didn't know where that desire to feel that from was coming from. And so this led me to, uh, in seventh grade, it was the first time that I uh, experienced drugs. Um, so one of my older, one of my friend's older brothers, uh, we were driving to get to see a movie and they got out some marijuana and kind of pressured us into it and so that was my first experience with that, and it didn't really become a thing until later on in life. I experienced it, and I, uh, that, was, that was kind of it. Um, but I, I was still very much needing that approval and seeking that approval from those around me. So getting into high school, um, like I said, I was playing football, and I remember I was playing freshman football, and I scrimmaged with the varsity one, one weekend or whatever, Uh, At the end of that weekend, the the coach said, hey, I want you to quit freshman football and I want you to start on varsity. And here I already had this pride issue and like this ego issue um, just from that that need of acceptance for people. And so all of a sudden, the fact that I'm a freshman and I'm going to start on varsity just fueled that pride and fueled that ego that I had. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And so then I found myself, you know, playing this pretty physically demanding sport with all these grown men. Here I am, you know, 14, 15 year old kid and uh, playing with these fully grown men that are just, you know, they're some of them like D1 prospects. And I'm just like, man, like I was playing Holston Middle School last year. I don't know what you guys are doing, but sure. Um, Anyways, and through that, and as I, these upperclassmen, again, coming back, man, I really wanted their approval. I really wanted to gain some kind of like level of respect for them or from them. Uh, And so I would hang out with them after uh, football games. We'd go out and uh, began drinking, just partying pretty regularly after football games. Uh, That was just kind of what we did. Um, So still, you know, high school, still playing sports, partying a little bit, you know, once a week, whatever. Um, Wasn't a huge huge deal until senior year uh, after uh, football season was over. I should also mention through this time, um, during the younger years, when I got in trouble a lot, I got grounded a lot. And so I learned how to play guitar. And I was like going to FCA and I was going to youth group and I was like leading worship. I wasn't leading worship at all. I was just playing songs. And I was only there because there were cute girls there. Uh, Definitely not to learn about Jesus. And I had this facade, I had this front that when people would look at me, they're like, oh, he goes to church? He, he leads worship in FCA. He's a good kid. But I didn't want him to know what I was really doing. I didn't, I didn't want them to see the real me, you know. So I had to play this front put this facade put this mask on. Um, so fast forward again to after football season is over, uh, senior year. I turned 18 that summer. And so now that football season was over and I don't have any responsibilities, all of a sudden, and I'm also old enough to, to get into the bar. At that point, Um, this led and started this very dark period of my life where that's just that's just who I became. It just consumed me. If it wasn't every night, it was every other night, drinking, drugs, partying, really looking to to fill this hole that I felt in my heart by these things around me that that give me some kind of temporary feeling. Um, And it never lasted. It never lasted. Um, so I graduated, immediately moved out and moved in with some frat guys, which again, I'm, I'm, I didn't make the best choices, uh, as a kid and moved in with these frat guys again, partying, drinking drugs all the time. And halfway through my first semester of college, I flunked out and really searching for this identity, searching like, who am I? What am I, what am I really doing? you know with my life you know all these people around me are making me do these bad things it's definitely not me so if i can get away from these people then i'll become a better person right i can i can m- start moving forward with my life so i moved to colorado uh and i had applied for a job as a whitewater rafting guide i'd never even been rafting and uh but they didn't they told me i didn't have to know anything that they would provide training so i I went out there, and I don't know if any of you know anything about raft guide culture, or if you've ever been with a raft guide. It is probably the worst possible place I could have ever went. And, um, it is just a culture. It is not a Jesus-loving culture at all. Um, and so and I found out really quick that it wasn't the people around me that was causing me to do this. It was me. It was this, this thing in my own heart that I had... And searching for this desire to be known and to be cared for and loved and accepted by people. And through that, um, I remember being uh, that winter. I lived in Breckenridge and I was it's like a little mountain ski town or whatever. And I was out at the bar and uh, my dad called me and he's like, hey, you know, I've got a job opportunity coming up pretty soon. Um, Put you on salary. I'm going to need a lot of we're going to have a lot of work. Um, to have you to do if you, if you want to come home. I said, no. I said, no, Dad. I said, I'm not done living my life. I said, I'm going to stay out here. And, well, that night, I, after I'd left the bar, I drove to the next town over to go to another bar. I uh, got pulled over, got DUI, got arrested, lost my job because I drove a furniture truck for a living. So, lost your license, lost your job. Uh, so, a couple days after that, and I'm just like, kind of sitting there and stewing in my own self-pity, like, what am I going to do? Like, I can't, I don't have a job anymore. And so I called my dad up and I was like, hey, dad, I'm done living my life now. Uh, <laughs> can I come back? And he was just like, yes, absolutely. And just like, what a picture of grace of him just welcoming him back. And that actually happened over and over again. Even when I got back, I still made stupid choices and he would just welcome me right back. Um, he was stern and he, he would give me some exhortation of like how I needed to go, but he was always super gracious. Uh, during that time, I met a girl And she was unlike any other girl I'd ever met before. She was completely opposite of me. She was soft-spoken, and I could be super goofy, and she actually kind of laughed at all my corny jokes. And uh, we started dating in 2010, I believe. Uh, And during that time as well, I got a phone call from a friend of mine that I guided with in Colorado. And he said, hey, I'm moving to Wisconsin, and I'm starting a whitewater rafting business, and I'd like for you to be a part of it. And I'm like, heck yeah, man. I'm 21 years old, part owner of a rafting business. Sign me up. So we went up there, my girlfriend and I, and um, you know, started this business. And you know it was very, it was hard at first. We didn't make hardly any money. Um, and so it was towards the end of our season, of our first season, and we're trying to decide, do we come home or, or do we stay up here for the winter and try to get jobs? Because I don't know how many of you are familiar with like, the upper peninsula of Michigan and Wisconsin, but it snows a lot. Uh, and It's miserable. So we decided um, that we were probably going to come home. Um, but also at that time, I remember Right before we made that decision My girlfriend, she says She came up one day, she's like, Paul She's like, I'm pregnant And I was like, oh man What do I, what do, I do with that? Like, like, it's a false positive it Can't be true, take another one She took another one, it's a like, false positive No, it's true, it's true And I had a lot of just like, like This can't be happening Like everything that I'd wanted, everything that I'd worked for um, and it had this adventure business, you know, 21 year old kid, 22 year old kid. I felt it kind of like slipping away. And I was like, oh, I remember calling my dad and just crying, and like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to support a kid. Like, I'm a kid. How do I, what do I do? And he was like, well, you're going to provide. That's what you're going to do. And I was like, yeah, I guess I will. <laughs> um, so we moved home, and, you know, I got a job, tried to find a good job that I could, like, move up in management and all this stuff or whatever. And fast forward to uh, nine months to the day that my son uh, was due, we get into the hospital and my wife had been having contractions, but she was scheduled for uh, to be induced, and she was it was the night before, and she was like, "I think I'm having contractions." I'm like, "Yeah, they're just Braxton Hicks. Don't worry about it. We'll be there tomorrow." So, um, but she was really having contractions, and so when we go in for her to be induced, they're like, "Girl, you're eight and a half centimeters dilated." Uh, this baby's coming right now. And, uh, I don't know if they, I don't know if they called her girl. That was just me putting that there for emphasis. But, uh, so he was born crazy, crazy experience. And I remember they had got him cleaned up and I think there's a picture. Yeah. You may not recognize, that's actually me. You may not recognize it, but it is. Um, and I remember they handed him to me after they got him all wrapped up and I'm looking at this little, this little human, this little, this little kid that's a part of me. But I, I, he doesn't have a personality. He doesn't, he's not done anything to like earn any kind of favor from me. But how unconditionally and overwhelmingly I loved him. And that he was perfect. He, there couldn't be a, more, a better picture of perfection in my life than that moment right there where I was looking at him. And it was to this day, I'll never forget it because it was as clear as you and I speaking together. God said, because of Jesus, this is the way I look at you. And it wrecked me, it completely wrecked me. I'm, we- I'm just sobbing. And, I-, and like, I hope I don't get emotional during this because like I'm an ugly crier. So I don't want you all to see that. <laughs> but I'm just weeping and crying. And I'm just like, man, I've got I've to gotta change. I've got to go back to college. I've got to get a degree. I've got to provide. I've got to get this kid in church. I've got to get my family in church. And man, like God just flipped this switch in my heart because it took the birth of my son and me becoming a father, and understanding the love that I have for my son, for me to understand our heavenly Father's love for us. And so we started trying to get in churches, and um, you know we were not married, we had a son together, and here I look like this tattooed heathen coming in places. You know, I, it, it almost felt as if when we would go to places, people would just be like, "Oh, here's the sinners," you know, <laughs> and and like I'm really like seeking to know Jesus and seeking to just like get involved but a lot of the places I don't want to say they give us a cold shoulder but it was very just like not welcoming not accepting and that's something that I craved anyway first place I was looking for was the church and I didn't feel it and we gave up looking for a church I was like yeah this is how it's going to be I don't I don't want to do this so we quit looking for several months and uh by the grace of God, one day we got a flyer in the mail, in our mailbox, that said, there's this new church opening up, like, it's right down the street from us, well, the road, it's several miles, not down the street, but we're like, ah, you know what, let's, let's give it a shot, and try it out, so we show up, and there are, like, people in the parking lot waving at us, and I'm just like, this is weird, you know, I pull into a parking spot, and uh, we walk in and it's always scary. The first time you go to church, like I don't know if you ever remember, but it's always like scary. You don't know anybody, like you're looking around and you're just hoping somebody welcomes you. And they, they did, they're like, this sweet little old lady gave me a hug. She was like, oh, we're so glad you're here. And, and i was just like, oh, thanks. You know, and just like, welcome. Everybody's welcoming us. And I'm like, they're putting, a sh- they're putting on a show. Like grand opening. I know what's going on here. Okay. And I was like, we're coming back next week and we're really gonna see how these people act. So we came back the next week Sweet little old lady, give me a hug. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Next week, same thing. Man, I, I started feeling this, this love and this care that I'd never experienced before. Because it was the love of Jesus in these people that was being displayed through their actions and through their welcoming us. And that was super attractive. And I was like, man, this is, I've never known this before. I've never experienced. This is what I've been looking for my whole life. Like, is this family of just like, man, where I'm just known and I'm loved. And like, not that I wasn't loved by the family or anything like that. But just like, I had this, this desire in there. And it was being met. Because it was the love of Christ that I needed. Not all of these other things that fulfilled these short-lived um, fulfillments. So I began to, uh, to get involved. Started serving started uh, wanting to use my passion for outdoors and for the wilderness as a way to connect with young people uh, and to use it as a ministry. So I started a wilderness ministry there and eventually ended up coming on staff at that church. And I was showing up every week, you know, serving. I was in a small group. I was giving regularly. Like, I was doing all the things that a Christian should do, but there was still, like, this one little part of me, and I was like, man, this, like, it's got to be more than just showing up to all these programs every week. Like, You know, and I'm in community, but like, man, there's there's something deeper that I'm missing. And through my wilderness ministry, I established a connection with a a guy from uh, from Ecuador. Actually, he lives in Johnson City, and that's another story for another time that I'll tell you then. But he began to meet with me regularly. He began to uh, to lay his life down. I, I, I saw him give his life away every week. He would show up every week, and he would ask me like, "How's your heart? How's your walk with Jesus?" How's your wife? How's your relationship with your wife and your kids? Like, And none of my staff team at the church I was on, those questions weren't being asked. And this guy began to like pour into me and, and show me that this whole Christian thing isn't about how many kids come to my wilderness ministry. It's not about how many people we got sitting in the seats. It's not about how many new baptisms we have or any of that. It's about me personally abiding and knowing Jesus so deeply and intimately that it shapes everything around me. How's was the most important thing? And I began, my faith began to grow, my, my view of Jesus began to grow, and it was radical. It was cr- the craziest thing that I'd ever experienced. And because of that, because of that, the reason that I can stand here before you today, and I can speak of all the terrible things that I've done, and all the things that would normally bring us guilt or shame. The reason I can stand here before you today is because in Christ. And because of his mercy and his grace, I'm redeemed, and I'm forgiven, and so are all of you. And that's where I want to dive into today's text. As we look at the book of Ephesians, it's really broken up into two parts. So the first three chapters are really telling us who we are because of Christ, and then the next three chapters are giving us the implications of how we should live because of who we are in Christ, Okay. And so today, we are going to really dive in, dive in to see who we are because of Christ. OK? So buckle up. There's several points that I want to make to you, and we're going to rattle through them uh, in the next 16 minutes and 15 seconds. Um, so as we look at it, and, and this, this passage is full of declarative statements. Two services in a row, I said it correctly the first time. Um, Declarative statements that declare a truth to us. There's so many of us that live in this place of our feelings are truth, but they're not. Our hearts are deceitful. And we let our feelings dictate what we believe to be true about ourselves. But this passage, these, these declarative statements really give us this solid truth that we can know is true about us because it is God's word that tells it about us. So the first thing that I want to point out is in verse one, Paul says, he's writing this and he says, to God's holy people, to God's holy people. My first point is you are holy if you are in Christ. You are holy. Now that word, some some translations say to the saints in Ephesus, and that picture of a saint kind of, for me, it makes me feel far off, like something unattainable for me. Like, I'm not a saint. They make statues of those people, you know? Like, that's not me. Uh, I know my heart. I know my sins. That's, I'm not a saint. How many of us, too, think, like, you've heard that, that phrase, well, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. While that is true, we are sinners saved by grace. When we put ourselves into that category of, like, I'm just a sinner, it brings this shame and makes us step more fully into the identity of our sin when we should be stepping more fully to the identity of who Jesus is and who we are because of that. So because of that, you are holy. Jesus is holy. So you are holy if you are in Jesus. Point two, you are blessed. You are blessed. Paul says here that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. What does that mean we don't live in the heavenly realms we live in the earthly realms as I was studying for this and listening to like different uh different um what's that word Commentary. commentaries there you go thank you um this is different commentaries of, of the passage I heard this analogy uh and it was given this way explaining this how we're blessed with all the spiritual blessings so I want you to picture you have this billionaire aunt okay and this billionaire aunt, everywhere that she's went, she has earned like the, the highest level of respect in culture around her and in community around her. Everybody looks at her with such like high regard, such high esteem and high merit and respect. Okay. And so she passes away. So you're invited to the, to the reading of her will. And as they're reading and they're giving, you know, her estates went to this person, her vehicles went to this person. And the last person they come to before you gets all of her money. So you're like, wow, what did I get? And then she says, dear niece or dear nephew, to you, I leave my position of respect. Everywhere that you go, people will hold you in the same regard, in the same merit, in the same respect that I have earned in this world. And that's what it's saying, because Jesus came and he walked a perfect life and he was, he walked in perfect unity and in perfect obedience to Jesus. He earned this, this place of righteousness. Not that he didn't already have it, but he definitely earned it because he was perfect. We get to inherit that from him. We didn't earn it, but we get to, we get Jesus's righteousness for those of us that call on him. Christ died a sinner's death so that we could become righteous. We didn't earn that. We get to inherit that. That is how you are blessed. Point three, you are chosen. Some of you want me to really dive deep theologically and study that word right now. I'm not going to do it um, because I don't want you to miss the point. Okay? You are chosen. Long before the creation of the earth, Christ, God, being perfect in unity together, he chose you. And we think about our struggles with acceptance and the, 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 the need to be included. It all began on the playground. Who knows what I'm talking about? Line up, everybody. We got the team captains out here. Everybody, yep, I'll take you, take you, take you. And you didn't want to be last, right? Nobody wanted to be last, That's where we often focus, but what about the guy that was first? Man, he had to like really hold himself in in a way of perfection, too. God steps in like this righteous team captain, and he says, I want you. I choose you to be on my team. He stepped in, and he set you apart, and he chose you to be included in his family. Long before he knew your struggles or your acceptance issues, or before your own merit or the good deeds that you've accomplished this week, he sets you apart and he chose you. Because of that, you are holy and blameless in his sight. You are holy and blameless in his sight. I know that there's many of us that came in here today and we often carry our shame and our guilt and we don't think that we're worthy enough to approach God. We don't think that we're worthy enough to come before them, the King of all kings and the Lord of, our, a Lord of all, all lords. We don't feel worthy to be in his presence. And we're not. But because of Jesus, we are. He sees us as holy and blameless. When he looks at you, he doesn't see your anger. He sees Jesus' mercy and his love. When he looks at you, he doesn't see your impurities. He sees the pureness and holiness of Christ. He doesn't see your unforgiveness. He sees Christ's total forgiveness on the cross. For those of us that have called upon the name of Christ, God looks at us, and that's what he sees, is Jesus on the cross. Perfection holy and blameless. If you were in Christ, that's you. That's you. The next thing is you were were predestined for this very purpose. That's another word that you want me to talk about? I'm not going to talk about it. Um, Because it basically just means what it says, is God decided beforehand, destined beforehand that you would be adopted to sonship. And because I want you to focus on the, the word before that, in love, in love, Before the creation of the world, God came up with a plan. God knew that we were going to be separated from him by sin. In his sovereignty, he knows all things. And he knew we were going to be separated by sin. And in love, he came up with a plan that we could be adopted into his family. Through Jesus Christ. And actually, that that term in 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 the Hebrew, or in the Greek it means that you get like full legal standing as an heir. There's no separation from the blood heir or the adopted heir. And in Hebrew, Hebrew culture, it was the first son that always would get like the inheritance. It was always the first son. That phrase, adopted to sonship, means we're like the first son. There's no separation of us. Somebody that's sitting next to you, there's nothing that they don't have that you don't have in Christ. We're all we all receive the same inheritance, and that's eternity with God in glory forever, in perfect unity with Him. Point six: You are redeemed. You are redeemed. That term is a marketplace term, so we think of we go cash something in and get something in return of value, right? I think of taking my kids to Chuck E. Cheese and we get all these tickets, right? You get like a thousand tickets and you go to redeem it and what do you get? Stupid ring pop, Like Somebody needs to work on that system over there because it's flawed. But that's what God does. God, we were sold into slavery and bondage and complete separation from God because of sin. But God, but God, who is rich in mercy, he put forth the price necessary to buy us back out of bondage and slavery. He did that through Jesus' death and resurrection. So you can be, look at that, and you are redeemed through nothing you've done simply because Jesus chose to die on a cross for you. You are redeemed. Next is you are forgiven you're forgiven. I know so many of us coming here today and we certainly think that God couldn't forgive us for things we've done. Couldn't forgive us for this sin that we committed, couldn't forgive us for the way we acted, couldn't forgive us for um just the the way that we've carried ourselves through our life. But the enemy wants us to think that he wants to keep us over here in shame. He wants to keep us over here in bondage because he certainly doesn't want us to repent and go to the king of kings whose arms are open with grace and mercy, ready and has already forgiven you because of Christ. Jesus came and died a sinner's death so that you might be made righteous and holy in the sight of God. And the last thing I want you to know is that you have been lavished with God's grace, and that word lavished" paints this picture of just like not withholding, just pouring out just I mean, I think it was like just buckets after buckets, right? Uh, scripture tells us that when Christ died on the cross, that the full weight and the full measure of God's wrath and judgment was poured upon him. And so can we dare say that he was lavished with God's grace, or with God's judgment and wrath? But on the opposite end of that spectrum, God lavishes us with his grace and his mercy. Not withholding, just pouring it on. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you need to know that. You do need to know it, but maybe you need to be reminded of that today. And that's my hope, is that as you leave here today, you can walk out these doors knowing that you are sons and daughters of God. You're in his family. You're holy. You are blameless in his sight. You're pure and righteous through no merit of your own, simply because of Jesus dying on the cross. Maybe there's some of you here that don't know Jesus. Man, I would pray that that feeling that you might have right now of him just drawing you to the cross, drawing you to himself, that you would step into that. That you wouldn't care about what anybody might think about you. That you wouldn't care about how nervous you are about it. But that you would step into that place of grace and forgiveness. And that you would tell somebody. You can find me. Find one of our staff. Find one of our team. Tell somebody today, man, I want to know Jesus. And we would love to talk with you about it. There is nothing (laughs) greater that we would love to talk to you about than that. Guys, I hope that you, I hope you leave here today knowing whose you are. Knowing how you're seen because of Jesus. And that that would empower you and encourage you to go out and live like that. Live in a redeemed state. Live in this place where you can praise God and all the people around you. And they're like, man, what's going on with you? I'm redeemed. man. Jesus loves me that it would encourage you to live your life in this, in this new, incredible way that Christ called us to live. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you were challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.